This is Wrench Nation. Car talk, car culture, car tips, car music, all that is car. Wrench Nation car talk. Call or text your questions now. Well, all right. Welcome back, Wrench Nation. Hanging with you every week. We love, we love hanging out with you guys. We appreciate you uh, stopping by. Your car talk, where we cover tips, some car culture, all things car, man. If you've got a squeaky squeak, you know, you guys are getting ready to shop. Holiday shopping is coming. And you got some bumpage and grindage and some check engine lightage. Call us, 480-655-8870. The show's about you. That's first and foremost. We stop the presses for your phone calls. And I do want a big, big shout out. Big shout out to all you podcast maniacs hanging out with us. We are grateful. Uh, some of you even gave us a review and were kind to us, and that's cool. Hey, and if there's things that we can work on, we always invite that commentary there. Uh, you know, I think part of life is getting better. Uh, none of this is perfect. That's what this is about. Uh, like car repair. Car repair isn't a perfect science, no matter what we have by way of technology and things like that. I think a good technician can say this isn't right and fix it. And if it's not fixed, he's going to catch it and before it leaves his base. And it's like life. So there you have it. Uh, today's show topic. I'm really excited. You know, we really work hard. I mean, I, I want to get you guys in a subscribe to the podcast mode. Cause some of you listening now, especially during the holidays, you catch bits and pieces, do yourself a favor. Do us a favor. <laughs> Come hang out with us on the podcast because you can you can click subscribe, catch it. And we've had Eric the Car Guy. Uh, we had Betsy Bennett on from Good Guys uh, Classic Shows last week. We did a veterans tribute with a World War II mechanic. Um, we've had some of the industry talk on technician training on these modern cars. So uh, get on over to any Wrench Nation, uh, iTunes, Google Play, and come join us over there. Uh, if you're going to hang with us for the hour, 480-655-8870, any car questions, maybe a second opinion uh, you might have on your mind. Today's show is going to dive into, you guys growing up have been to your fair share of museums. As kids, we really can all agree we enjoyed the dinosaur portion of a tour at a museum. Growing up in New York City, we loved, I mean, that dinosaur, Natural Museum of History that never got old because those dinosaurs, you always found something new. How about that same relationship in terms of cars? Finding the collectibles. Many of you take pride and joy in a piece of art, rolling art, that you're working on currently. Or you've restored and now you're hitting the car show scene. Well, today we're honored and privileged to have Joe Bortz. Joe Bortz has a renowned collection of concept vehicles. Those vehicles from the 1950s and 60s that the manufacturers, primarily GM and Ford and Chrysler, they were on fire with these dramatic designs, these future cars. Well, Joe Bortz is a vehicular archaeologist that has actually spent time rescuing these cars from a junkyard death. Joe Bortz and Ken Vela, Ken Vela out of Huntington Beach, will be joining us. But until we get to that point, I must say hello to my beautiful co-host, Susie 
I love you, girl. Welcome, baby. How I are you? I love you too, Frank. You know, I'm amazing. I think we should tell the people like we like we we work at a garage, and sometimes we forget we fix cars. But we never forget that well, we have we this. We have this show. We have fun. Um, but the garage has been busy, and as always, do I like to check the temperature, let the folks know how you doing this week. How are things in the garage? Things in the garage are very busy. It is, you know, it's the day before Thanksgiving, and everybody wants to have some work done before they travel for the holidays. Yeah, and we're closed Thursday yeah. and Friday. You know, we always ask the crew, uh, very mindful of our, our customers, right? Like, if we got big project cars, and we got to be open Friday, we're going to be open. But, you know, it worked out where we worked really hard, and we're shutting down Thursday and Friday. Very hard. And then we had a nice little Thanksgiving lunch today. That was nice, wasn't it? It was. It was. A big shout out to my lovely wife, yes, Mrs. Josephine. Josephine. She is corporate, baby. Corporate comes by once in a while. It was excellent. But she you know, takes Frank, money and she brings us food. I, I got I to gotta bring something up, Frank. All right. So during all of the hustle and bustle and uh, Thanksgiving, we actually had uh, one of our scrap guys, AJ. All right. Uh, came in. I haven't seen him in a while. And so it's like, AJ, where have you been, man? Where have you been? He's like, you know. This is our scrap guy. That's our scrap up. guy. So the scrap guy comes by. We have old uh, brake rotors and struts. And he comes by and he'll pick him up. And uh, we have a little lunch money. Yeah, have a little lunch money. Yeah. And, you know, he says to me, Frank, well, you know what? Things have been happening in my life. And I said, what's going on, AJ? He says, I lost my mother and father. What? And right there I said, wait a minute, what? And he says, yeah, you know that duck boat accident in Missouri? He says, that was my mom and dad, my nephews, my cousins. Wait, his whole family? Nine, I think nine members. That's crazy. Yeah. So, wow. I mean, it's like, it's it's hard to hear something like that. And this guy is such a spiritual guy. Yeah. And he tells me, he's, I said, how are you handling it? He says, you know what? I'm okay. I'm okay. If, if they were called home all at once, I'm, I'm okay with that. That's a sad story. That's a sad story, no doubt about it. But I think... And from what you're saying there, you know, regarding Thanksgiving, sometimes we get caught up. I mean, I, this is a car show, but this is a life show, too. You know, we all have our life experiences. Thanksgiving, people, you're, you know, Black Friday. Everybody's hungry. You're going to get together. We want the deals. We're going to meet some family members we haven't seen. But, man, the little things count. Don't forget that. And uh, that, is, uh, that is a sombering story. Very sombering. I mean, I, my heart just dropped. Yeah, so... Just accept the little things, man. You know, uh, no matter what you do in life, you can't, you can't get so grandioso to forget the little things, and that's a fact. Uh, do we have uh, we have somebody on the on the? We got a phone call. Let's see who we got here. Yes, hello. Rosie's in the house. Uh, Rosie, yeah, Rosie, you rock girl. <laughs> hey, happy Thanksgiving to you, man. Hey, happy Thanksgiving to you, Frank, and your lovely wife Josephine, and all the staff. There, I mean, y'all just rock. And well, thank you, man. This is cool stuff. Now, did nobody, did somebody pay you to call? Us? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I, I, the reason why I call is because it's Thanksgiving, oh. and it's a time to give thanks and look at well, the blessings from the we, year. And I just want to say thank you. To well, all you rock. Thank you, girl. I really thanks, appreciate Rosie. that, Rosie. Uh, Rosie, tell us uh, what are you thankful for right now? Well, you know what. I'm thankful. First, like I said, I'm thankful for for you and, and you know, your wife. She's very sweet and welcoming and the whole staff, everybody. Well, and that's I cool. felt like home. And, uh, you know, I w- had needed repair and uh, y'all just 
really helped me. And like I said, you know, you were there when, you know, when, um, when I needed somebody and, and at the end of the day, that's what, what it's all about. It is man, no matter what you do. And, um, you know, I think, uh, small business, large business, medium business, we do what we do. We make widgets, we fix widgets, but man, you can't forget the people. And so I appreciate you, Rosie. Uh, rock the Thanksgiving. Listen, don't get sleepy after that turkey situation. <laughs> turkey all right, girl. Fan. <laughs> a big claps for Rosie for calling. Good job, in. Rosie. Have a great week and girl. Thank you so much. And that's what it's about. Uh, so we got um, a car tip real quick. We had some situations in the garage. And what we try to do, people, like we, we just give you the real and raw. I prefer to tell you not so much about the mistakes, but maybe some of the conundrums that we've seen in the garage where there was a part failure uh, that was odd. I think you guys can take more from that. Well, we had a PO 128 check engine light. So those of you driving, um, a lot of you say check engine light. It's not doing anything. Just my gas cap. Maybe. But there's another one. And that's the PO 128. That's that thermostat stuck wide open. And for a lot of you back in the day, when you heard thermostat, it usually equated to, man, I'm going to have a meltdown right about now. (laughs) But the PO 128 has that thermostat sticking wide open and you may not have a symptom however you will have some gas mileage issues the engine is running too cool now here in the desert we may say in summer well that's a good thing that's we want it to thing. run cool too cool but remember like going back to the days of a choke on a carburetor choke it up in the morning we need more fuel trim it out operating temperature same principle with that thermostat so we had a thermostat that came in And it failed after eight months. You know, it's frustrating. And our folks are understanding. We got all over it. We warranted it out. But on these plastic parts, there's a plastic tank, Susie, that holds on both sides that thermostat. Right. The plastic tank broke. So what do you do? I mean, in some occasions, it's not the part failed. It's my mechanic failed. That's a hard swallow. Yeah, it is a hard swallow. So we do our best. And so if you're going into your garage or dealer and perhaps you think you have the same fault or failure, you know, same symptoms, be kind first and foremost. Most of these wrenches, uh, technicians, advisors, there's so many out there that will embrace a warranty, man. So just uh, chill out. Chill out. Warranties are there. Uh, We got some news coming out here. All right, you've heard about it. You've you've seen it here, especially in Arizona. Here in Phoenix, suburb Chandler, we are the autonomous capital. Yes, we are. We're proud. We've had Google testing Waymo for quite some time, millions of miles quite some time. And a Google company decides to announce, finally, because you've seen them driving around, all the external radar Yeah, everywhere. I mean, when we first saw them, we were like, oh, what is that right there? That's a little different. But these autonomous driving platforms that Google has been testing, uh, they've actually had a ride program for a select few. You got on the list. They selected you. And they've been testing all that. Well, that testing period is about to come done. What? And you, within the next few months, it was announced, you will have an autonomous pickup service no way done deal now currently there is a individual uh in my opinion it's peace of mind like psychologically if you got in a car i don't think people are still quite ready yet i'm ready 
the people that were involved in this study and they they sort of we talked to a few at the garage. Yeah, we have. Um, in fact, one fella said there is somebody in the vehicle behind the wheel, but that car is driving itself. Right, but you can't talk to the operator. But you cannot talk to the driver. Mm-hmm. They have you communicate away through the app. Through the app, correct. Well, Waymo, uh, Google, uh, they decided that they are going to get rid of the drivers. Ooh. It's coming. And we had uh, the economic development uh, manager from Chandler. Chandler. You know, Chandler's codified their city streets. They're ready for autonomous. Uh, there's a lot of planning. There's a lot of work uh, to doing that. But the interesting here thing, Susie, is that it's not going to be called Waymo. Oh, they're changing the name. They are. Oh. And I wish I could tell you, but it's top secret. You could tell me, but you'd have to kill me? Intel, Google, these folks are competing head-to-head with Uber and Lyft. Oh, wow. Get ready. Okay. So as a business service, I mean, they're future casting $96 billion in the commercial transportation industry as something they can get a foothold on. So look for that. Are we ready for that? I don't know. I don't know if we're ready for the, uh, oh, there's nobody behind that steering wheel. (laughs) Why do you need a steering wheel? So tune in next. We got, and are so privileged, man. We've got uh, Joe Bortz, uh, Bortz Auto Collection, a renowned collection of concept cars, painstakingly restored, has been seen across the country at museums. Joe Bortz is standing by. Stay tuned next. Wrench Nation. Parts Authority Auto Parts Superstores. Nationwide locations. You know, one of the problems that I can have working in my garage is parts aren't delivered on time. The quality isn't there. Well, guess what? Who's yelling at me? My clients. And they're likely not to come back. Well, the Parts Authority Auto Parts Superstores. Amazing service. Knowledgeable counter folks. A complete line of original equipment. Parts that our customers deserve. If you're an installer, Get on to partsauthority.com. Check locations nationally near you, partsauthority.com. Well, all right, welcome back, Wrench Nation. Uh, we're talking about some of these amazing concept cars these highly collectible cars that have been restored before we dive into mr joe bortz let's bring in mr jb's with the uh the challenge question jb with bolt-on technology welcome to the show jb what's shaking yo man happy thanksgiving everybody jb's in the house yes JB's in the house. sir <laughs> you are in the house and as you do every week we got a 50 dollars visa gift card for folks tuning in what is your challenge question what was the very first official concept car was it the Ford Nucleon, which was supposed to be nuclear-powered, or 1938 Buick Y-Job? All right. If you think you know the answer, 480-655-8870. We're talking about the very first concept car. Uh, of course, Joe will set us straight here in a minute. Was it the Ford Nucleon, that uh, sort of nuclear-powered Why would you proposal? have a nuclear car, though? Well, it's not on the streets today know, for very right? good reasons. <laughs> or was it the 1938 Buick Y-Job? If you know the answer, there's a $50 Visa gift card. We'd love to give that to you. 480-655-8870. JB, have an amazing Thanksgiving. You rock, you brother. Too, folks. Happy Thanksgiving, JB. Happy Thanksgiving. Take care. Bye. All right. So, Bye, buddy. Uh, when we talk about concept cars, we're talking about cars that were sort of uh, in placement as an idea. As Nuclear. A, well, that was an idea. Okay. 
Uh, to help us straighten this all out, we are privileged and honored to have Mr. Joe Bortz. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Am I on the air right now? You are live on the air. Thank you for your patience, uh, Joe. Oh, my pleasure, my pleasure. I'm looking out my window right now. I'm wondering if you have the same weather out there. You're in Arizona, right? Yes, sir. We just finished golfing. Uh, about oh, okay. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, we're, we're looking forward to a nice white thanksgiving here yeah well we (laughs) we miss the snow for sure and and joe you've had an illustrious background as a as an avid collector saving these vehicles from the kiss of death i've got to ask you what was the turn on a lot of our folks listening now have some pretty unique stories about how they acquired you know an impala and started restoring and that's the lifeblood of the passion because it doesn't always go well what kickstarted you with some of these amazing cars? Well, I, I think there's a lot of fellows that have the same story that I have as from the time that they were three or four or whatever age. They loved to play with cars, and that just kind of grew and grew. And here in Chicago, we had the International Car Show at the Amphitheater. And uh, back then, it was safe to get on a, a streetcar and take it to the amphitheater, and uh, I think I was probably 10, 11 years old, and me and a friend would get down to the amphitheater, and our biggest thrill would be to try and get somebody to put us up on their shoulders so we could see the concept cars as they were being presented at the show. And, of course, you know, uh, it was always a dream to just be able to see the cars and find somebody that would lift us up so we could see over the crowd. And the idea of... uh, ever being able to get close to one or touch one or sit in one or much less drive one was, you know, we like thinking that maybe we're going to take a rocket ship to the moon or something. It was just not, it was inconceivable. So, yeah, so I've been, as they say, blessed in that sense that, uh, you know, it's uh, all your dreams come true kind of thing, and uh, I've been very fortunate to be able to you know, have the the collection that we've been able to put together over the decades. Yeah, i got to let the people know the Bortz Auto Collection has been displayed at just about every major car museum, uh, Museum of Science and Industry, the Gilmore Museum, the Cleveland Auto and Aviation the Peterson Museum. And as a sense of someone, uh, let's talk about a youngster that may be seeing this sort of, they may think it's odd with everything that now is, uh, you know, moving fast with technology. You know, we just announced that Waymo is going to be full-bore autonomous vehicles. Are you still seeing youngsters with the gleam in their eye, just like you had, to trigger their passion for cars? Well, certainly, you know, the passion for cars is strongly tied in with imagination. And, you know, imagination is really the superior entity of the mind. And uh, I think that, uh, you know, there's... People who are imagining things today that uh, will be the, you know, the retro cars of tomorrow, and people of, that are young people today will want to collect those cars. And certain cars, I say, um, not only are a collector's piece for a particular period, but some are so magnificent that they go into the following periods of collecting because there are periods of collecting when i started collecting back in the you know 60s all the guys that were collecting back then were collecting brass cars and if you wanted to collect 
what was then something new called classic cars like Packards and those kind of cars, they would say, you know, don't waste your time on that. And then, of course, you know, I was collecting classic cars and it went into, you know, cars that were of the 50s, uh, you know, later on as an advanced type of collecting. So there's a moving target for collecting and Certainly, you know, out in Arizona, that's an epicenter for collecting. It is, it is. We're spoiled. Joe, I got to tell you in the garage, you know, I've been known to tell the rest of my peers in the industry, you keep your iron on that side of the Mississippi because we (laughs) we get a little rust and, boy, we need therapy. (laughs) Oh, yeah. yeah. No, you know, uh, I have a lot of uh, friends that I went to high school with, and one of them out there is a major collector. His name's Alan Gartsman. I get out to see him every so often and get to the Barrett-Jackson auctions and things like that. And we've had cars of our own in the Barrett-Jackson auction. And, uh, you know, several of the cars that are famous at the Barrett-Jackson auction were at one time in our collection, such as the Future Liner bus and the Bonneville Special, which we have the other one still in our collection. There was two of them made, you know. Yeah. Um, as these cars had been featured, uh, Pebble Beach and the Louis Vuitton Classic in New York's Rockefeller Center, um, Auto Week coined the term automobile archaeologist. Oh, right. that's, that's good. Joe, how do you feel being an automobile archaeologist? Do you well, feel like an archaeologist? I mean, with all the work that you're doing? Well, that term was actually coined in an article when we made the Great War Hoop discovery in 1988. And the cars that were there, there were four cars, the 1955 Chevy Biscayne, the 1956 Cadillac Eldorado Brome Town Car, and the two LaSalle's, the 1955 LaSalle Roadster and the Sedan. And the cars were supposed to be cut up and crushed, and they weren't, and the owner of the junkyard took and hit them, and they were there for decades, and there was always the rumor that they were there, but the owners there uh, kept them hidden, and eventually we were put in touch with the owner, and he said for me to come out and take a look at something, and I flew out there, and there were these four cars, but a lot of uh, the pieces had literally fallen off into the ground. So after we made a deal for the Ports Auto Collection to acquire the four cars, we were there literally digging in the ground looking for pieces that oh. had fallen All right, off so wait a minute. That, that's and, it. And, that's, and, and so when they wrote the article for Auto Week, uh, they, they coined that phrase, I believe, for the first time. Yeah. Automotive archaeologist Joe Bortz was there digging up the pieces that have fallen off the car so i think that's where it, where it started this that's fascinating that's awesome. you, you said that uh, for folks listening so the war hoops uh was essentially a recycle a used car lot uh i don't like to use the word junkyard you know i no, like it, recycling, no, it was but, a junkyard yeah, but no, it, it was a junkyard it, it is what it is <laughs> it is what it is so why i have a question because i read this very same statement do you think that because he held on to them he knew what he had but it, was he was he allowed to do that? Wasn't GM pretty tight-lipped a lot about a lot of these concept cars? And well, once the cars were given over to the junkyard, that passed the title to the junkyard. Ah, uh, the ownership. Yeah. So you know, uh, but uh, you know, the fact that he didn't follow the instructions, of course, is a fortunate part of history because they were actually saved and. 
these particular cars. The, the highest level of concept cars from a collector's point of view would be Motorama cars, and that's the cars from the GM Motorama that started in 53 and went through you know, almost a decade later. And that's the considered the highest level. And then, of course, there's the Virgil Exner cars, the Ghia cars, and that would be the second highest level. And then there's all sorts of cars in, you know, uh, that surround that. But it was like with the Y job, which you mentioned, I don't know if I can mention the answer well, to your question. Well, in, in honor of all the, well, we got the automotive archaeologist. Joe, you can do whatever you like, buddy. <laughs> okay. Well, the, the, the answer to the question was obviously the Y job was the first concept car. And it was Harley Earl that did that. It was his way of wanting to test the reaction of the public to design cues. Design cue is defined as a particular part of a design of a car, whether it's the front end, the roof design, the taillights. And also he wanted to make General Motors, which was the largest corporation in the world um, after the war, to let them know that General Motors was thinking ahead, just as they're talking about the self-driving cars now. Um, they were talking about such things as jet engines back then, microwaving, which was just in its infancy, and General Motors was telling about it. So all those things were, you know, the advanced ideas that were coming down the track, and General Motors was on the forefront with those. Yeah. So, well, uh, since you're talking about some of this uh, amazing technology, um, I wanted to ask you about the nuclear car, but we do have a couple of texts. Bree, what do we have for texters here? What are they saying? Alrighty, so we have one texter that says it's the Buick car. The other texter says it's the nuclear car. All right, well, the Buick, you got it right. We got the aficionado, so clap to you. Uh, we'll get you the $50 Visa gift card. And sorry, what name do we have? We don't have a name? That's Jim. Jim is Jim, thank you. Yeah. So um, some would believe... What were we thinking? I mean, in the 50s and 60s, uh, state-of-the-art, cutting-edge, we just got back from an ugly war, and it was in vogue to spend and be proud. And, and so, but what were we thinking about the nuclear uh, deal? I mean, well, do you have when, that? Did you res- yeah, yeah, Okay, when, tell us when about you, that. When you, the, the war, of course, was a, you know, a, a major reset for the whole world. And the Americans felt that they won the war, which they probably did. And um, their attitude was, if you got it, flaunt it. And, of course, when they took that attitude too far, you ended up with you know, a book called The Ugly American where they got too proud. But that, that's really not the situation with the cars because their attitude was, if you got it, flaunt it. And they put the emphasis and the investment in design more so than in engineering and so that's how harley earl got to be he was the vice president of design but he was really kind of running general motors in a way because the design was the locomotive for general motors in all respects yeah don't do doubt i mean i i engineering is one thing 
But I'm saying let's bring back a day of design, people. We need we need the old designs and the chrome <laughs> and the big tail fins. Uh, Mr. Joe Boards, please hang with us. I do have a special caller. He's going to be joining us. We're also going to talk about some of the cars that were salvaged and uh, maybe some of the hiccups that uh, happened before we... Sure. Very good. Too. Hang tight with us. Uh, Wrench Nation, we're talking concept automobile collection. Joe Boards next. The 61 Pontiac Monte Carlo, 53 Chrysler Gear, the list goes on, 58 Cadillac Eldorado. We've got Joe Bortz, uh, the Bortz Auto Collection, uh, one of the world's most dynamic concept car collections. Joe, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much. Um, before we bring in, well, I say we bring it in. We got Mr. Ken Vella. Bring it in. Mr. Ken Vella. Hey, how are you? Good. Ken Vella out of Huntington Beach, Wicked Customs. Uh, we've got Joe Bortz and Ken Vela, and there is a connection here. Ken, tell us about 35 years ago, what was your connection to Mr. Joe Bortz? Well, it was very, very interesting. I uh, was a DJ at the time, and I worked at a club called Blue Suede Shoes in Burnham, Illinois. And that club, actually, uh, Joe owned that club. And wow. uh, I was a DJ there and heard about Joe and, and his collection, and I was all excited because I was, you know, young, fresh. I was 19. Um, I had a 63 Impala that I drove to the club. That was my daily driver. And uh, I remember one night in particular, he shows up with, I believe it was a 68 Shelby GT500. Am I correct, Joe, on that one? Yeah. yeah Blue. Cool one. Wow. Now, Ken, when you were telling that story, I'm actually looking at a picture of you back in the 80s. With a red T-shirt on. Oh no! <laughs> and you've got a you got a set of hair. All on right, you. so you had a set of hair. It's early '80s. Uh, this is oh, before yeah. Ken Vela uh, dove in to some of the uh, renowned uh, builds that you are responsible for, specifically with that amazing wicked Porsche yeah. nitrous yeah. breathing. Yeah. But isn't it amazing, guys? The automotive circle does kind of come full that full way. circle. It does, man. Yeah. Well. It- it was it was so much fun and, and and I have to say, Joe, it was such an inspiration because I actually took him for a ride. I was really surprised. I was really, I, I mean, I vividly remember it, even though it was so far ago that I was really nervous. I was like, God, you know, this is this great man with this great collection, and and I'm just this little kid and with this car that was, you know, I was doing my best, you know, as we all do, growing yeah. up and not a whole bunch of money. And I said, Joe, would, would you like to go for a ride? And we went for a ride in my car, and just that moment was just. Uh, that was a turning point for me, just to keep you, keep going, and 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 just the approval, and and just uh, how gracious he was uh, on that ride. And I never forgot that. And uh, we, we flash ahead uh, 35 years and uh, building some custom cars. And I re- reached back out to Joe and said, "Hey, you remember me?" And I sent some pictures, and and we connected again. And and it's just uh, it's just amazing uh, how it all turned out. Yeah, no, it's a you know I think Joe one of the wonders because uh, we know blood, sweat, and tears when you're taking uh, a vehicle that has a tree growing through it, a concept vehicle at War Hoops that has a tree stump through it. That restoration is painstaking, but I think at the end of the day. When you come to that full restoration, the underbelly of inspiration to all generations, talk on that, Joe. You really get thrilled when you see the, the fans come out and look at the collection. Well, 
That's an interesting question. <laughs> um, yes, I mean, you know, everybody likes to have approval, and certainly, you know, whatever your endeavor is to be able to have people show their approval is, you know, very heartwarming. And um, there's, in collecting, there's a certain amount of selfishness where you're doing what you want to do, you're collecting what you want to collect, and that's very satisfying to you personally, but when you get the acclaim uh, and the admiration of other people for what you were doing, and and I you know quote unquote selfishly, you it really makes you feel good. It makes you feel like you were doing something bigger. And you know certainly when I started collecting uh, the concept cars, frankly when I started collecting the concept cars, I was criticized for it because in order to buy some of them, I had to sell some classic cars. And the guys with the, you know, the classic car enthusiasts said, are you crazy, you know, selling a nice Packard or something for one of those fiberglass things, you know. And, you know, I was doing what I wanted to do, uh, what made me feel good. And then eventually it became the Vogue thing, and, uh, you know, it's, it is very satisfying. And I think that that's uh, an important element in life is to, you know, not play to the crowd, but to play to yourself. And very often the crowd will follow, uh, you know, with what you're doing if you're doing something that uh, has a good common denominator to it, you know. By way of, of restorations, absolutely. And the the sort of the feeling that you get that you made it through mechanically. I mean, we both know, uh, all of us here and folks listening know that you have those uh, bad days and you sometimes have to walk away. But the inspirational level, you know, Ken and I talk about this all the time, Joe, whether it, you know, it's at Malibu Wheels and Waves or, you know, the good guys uh, show that premiered or it's uh, the com- upcoming Barrett Jackson or uh, Drew Alcazar's Russo and Steel. Like part of what we're doing is the art. It is the selfishness of how we want this to be. But the underbelly is that inspiration and next generation. And what you have done in that collection, I have not seen the collection, and I am eager. Uh, speaking of which, are you touring? Is there anything, folks listening now, if they want to see the collection, where can we see those pieces? Well, you know, for in the 90s uh, and the early 2000s, we had the cars on tour, and like you mentioned previously, they were at the Gilmore Museum and the Museum of Science and Industry in the main rotunda, and we three times we were featured at the Peterson Museum. Uh, we're the only collection, uh, private collection, that was the feature, you know, not the participants, but the feature of Pebble Beach three times wow. in the last 40 years. The last time was 2008. And, um, you know, so it's, it's, you know, it's, it's just a satisfying thing. And, uh, you know, like I say, you know, the, 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 the real inspiration is something you're doing for yourself. But then as you get the acclaim of the public, you start to really not only do it for yourself, but you start to do a weave of the collection that makes it more important uh, for what the collection starts to represent. And that's what happened with the concept cars yeah. right right tell us um speaking of weave there was a lot of weaving regarding <laughs> the president the bank of cuba yeah. and a particular car i found this very fascinating i read 
Joe, can you set the story straight? What were you, what business did you have with the car that came from Cuba? Tell us the story about that. Well, there's a little history to understanding that story. Um, General Motors was a very wealthy company, so they were making in-house their own concept cars. But concept cars literally back then would cost, you know, maybe a million dollars to make. Uh, and, of course, in today's you know dollars, that might be $10 million. And not all of them were that expensive. But anyhow, the Chrysler Corporation was not anywhere near as wealthy as General Motors. And so they came up with a formula where they had their master designer, Virgil Exner, design their concept cars. And then they would take that design and send it to Ghia in Italy, who, who would do the work for a lot less than it cost in America, and then they'd bring the cars in. So the cars were really Italian-built, American-designed, wow. and they would use the, the running gear from Chrysler. Well, the customs decided that the cars were really foreign, you know, in the sense of the technicality, and they wanted to charge duty on them, and a lot of duty. So Chrysler balked on it, and they came up with an arrangement that the concept cars could be brought into the United States and stay here without duty for something. I have no idea the real number, but it was something like 24 months or something, and then they had to get it out of the country or they had to pay duty. Right. So a lot of the Chrysler concept cars were sent out of the country, and uh, uh, the Plainsman Station Wagon, uh, the uh, Chrysler Plainsman Station Wagon, 1955, was sent to Cuba, and it was actually given to the president of the Cuban banks. And I'm uh, sure he he liked that. It was just given here. Take yeah. Take oh yeah, it was just the president. <laughs> yeah, you know, because sure, they yeah. were whatever. You know, who knew? I mean, I would like what they who, yeah. what they were trying to get in exchange. You know, sure. Maybe yeah. get their cars brought in. You know, at a special rate into Cuba, the production cars, whatever. Mm. And uh, when the revolution happened, the the president of the Cuban banks was assassinated in the front seat of the Plainsman station wagon. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my. Yeah. And the car was sent back to Fidel the Castro didn't care about a 56 Plainsman. Well, this was be really, I think this was before Castro. Ah, you know, okay. This was before Castro. Gotcha. Right, that whole area, that whole time was very, very much in turmoil. Sure. And the car went back to the Chrysler dealership, and the export manager for Chrysler was living in Cuba, and he had a big estate there. And um, when Castro came in, he was starting to um, basically get rid of Americans down there, and he methodically was getting rid of them one by one, and the, the export manager got word that he was going to be the next one that was going to be arrested and whatever. So they made plans to escape, him and his family, and they had a large estate, and they built a, a gate in the back of the estate. The estate was fenced in, and they basically escaped one night in the Plainsman station wagon, out the back gate, down to the harbor, lowered on some type of large vessel, and brought back to the United States. 
and that's the kind of the story of how he he uh, the export manager acquired the car from the Chrysler dealership when it was returned to the Chrysler dealership after the the president of the Cuban bank was murdered. Wow. And the car stayed with that family until I got it, uh, I don't know, probably in the uh, early 90s. And um, the blood stains, there were still some blood stains on the leather front seat. No way. Not, you know. So, <laughs> Joe, a lot of us, um, you know, before we wrap it up, we're going to carry over one more segment. But a lot are, a lot of folks listening, um, what is your technique? Like, where do you go? I mean, you're in the know. You have a network. What would be your advice about where to go to find Maybe not the concept cars, but some unique pieces. What advice could you give folks? My, my advice to other collectors, whatever level they're at, is always buy intrinsic value first. Don't buy condition. So, you know, if you have a 55 Chevy two-door sedan that is a six-cylinder stick shift, in other words, just a bare-bones Chevy, but it's got a $50,000 restoration on it, that could be a bad investment because the intrinsic value isn't there. You're better off taking your money and buying something that is somewhat unrestored but has higher intrinsic value because the intrinsic value is what trumps the situation every time. Yeah, it makes sense. So, yeah, so you should always get the best of the intrinsic value and worry about the condition later. All right, so Joe Bortz... uh running one of the world's renowned concept vehicles. We also have Ken Vela. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about, you know, Joe's not done. Joe connected with Ken Vela again. After 35 years, we're going to talk to Joe and Ken about what kind of deal making they've got going on. What car could be next? Stay tuned. Wrench Bolt-on Technologies, automotive software solutions. Auto repair shops that have bolt-on technology software Provide customer vehicle condition reports, including photos and text, real-time digital reports, multi-point inspections, estimates, and repair information at your fingertips. Info at boltontechnology.com. This is Wrench Nation. Car talk, car culture, car tips, car music, all that is car. Welcome back, Wrench Nation. Frank and Susie hanging with you. We've got uh, Joe Bortz and Ken Vela. Uh, Joe Bortz, an avid, avid collector. Uh, in fact, one of the most uh, powerful uh, and, I have to say, responsibly put together uh, concept cars. Joe, welcome back. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, you and Ken got together. Ken, are you hanging? I'm here. Good. Uh, tell us, um, after 35 years... Uh, many want to know what's cooking in the garage. Uh, Joe, do you want to lead off here? Sure, sure, yeah. Um, you know, um, in three, I was just saying to somebody this afternoon, I was saying, you know, on December 4th in three years, I'll be 80 years old. So oh, that's a hand, that's a clap. And, and a lot of, uh, of my old-time friends and guys that are, you know, 60, 70, 80, and 90, when it comes time to, for them to get their cars into the marketplace because they want to reduce their collection, you know, they call me up and I can always recommend somebody that is interested in this particular car or that particular car. And sometimes I even help them with their marketing program because that's my, you know, experience in business for decades was 
marketing, you know, in the restaurant business, and we even had some nightclubs you know, that were called Blue Suede Shoes, and Interestingly enough, one of them had a museum on it, but nice. we won't go there right now. And, <laughs> we uh, need another hour. So, of that. So, you know, I hadn't. Ken was. I was always impressed with Ken because he was one of the employees that was working with us at the time that was interested in old cars. So I always remembered him. And uh, you know, recently, a couple of years ago, uh, we got in touch with each other, and he was telling me about a friend of his that had an old Lincoln that uh, the fellow wanted to get the car sold and ken was able to help me help the guy get some pictures and this and that and i was able to you know introduce the guy to somebody that was interested in that particular car and it got sold and uh, ken uh you know was able like, to get from the uh the owner a commission on it and all that and I, it was my pleasure to do all that and i i do that for a lot of the old guys and we uh, help them set up marketing programs or try and, you know, help them get hooked up with somebody that has interest in their cars so that they can make their own deals and things like that. Joe, do so, you find that a lot of folks that may be in that position, and, and Ken, you can chime in as well, because certainly mm-hmm. you've had done a tremendous job building and designing uh, vehicles over the years. Do you find that here is a situation where we, we get a deal we restore it and we enjoy it and we want to move on is it a difficult situation to unload a vehicle and get the best price and how do you do that uh joe start off with joe well i mean you have to take into consideration that a car collector never has a problem knowing what to buy i mean there's the inspiration there so they're they're going to be real good at buying what they want. Um, when it comes time where they have to or want to separate themselves from their collector vehicle, you know the thing that they get in exchange is money. So they want to you know be sure that they're getting you know a market fair market share from the market for their for their collector car. And you know people will call me and ask me for my advice on some values and you know, and where they should go or who I might know that I can steer them to to, you know, help them get their cars sold. And I'm always happy to do that. And, you know, Ken is is a lot younger than me for sure, and uh, he's a very inspirational guy. And uh, he really helped his friend out uh, getting the, uh, it was a Lincoln. And, uh, you know, and, and it, for me it's like a lot of fun because, you know, with the concept cars, there's not a lot of action because, you know, you don't find a concept car too often. You know, you can go for years and not find another one these days. So, you know, the action of helping people get together and find somebody that wants their car is, you know, is my pleasure, you know, and I enjoy doing that. And I do it for the old guys uh, mostly. I don't, most of the younger guys are, you know, I'm not in touch with, but people that are 60, 70, Well, if I would just say, if you're listening, you know, we have a, pu- a huge podcast audience that will get this uh, on Sunday. Uh, get connected, uh, BortsAutoCollection.com. Ken, I have a question. Ken Vela, uh, sure. the international market over the years, you know, is there a demand that we've not seen before, perhaps in Europe or maybe China, for some of our goodies here in the States? Um, the only 
things, one thing that may come in mind is uh, we talked about earlier about Cuba. I kind of wonder what's going on with that, that whole thing, being that now it's, it's open. Um, Joe, I think you would probably know a lot more on that. Yeah, Before well, we wrap it up, yeah, Joe, is there an international scene? Are you, you finding well, Of course, yeah. Sweden is a country that loves American cars. They love American custom cars. They love Mustangs. Um, you know, there's different countries. You know, a lot of the countries like England love to get back some of their English cars like Jaguars and XKEs. And same thing in Germany. They, they like to buy back their Mercedes cars. And Australia, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Australia, New Zealand. Mm-hmm. They, they yeah. buy a lot of cars. Yes, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So well, all right. It's, a, it's an international market with the computers today. It's a, and, of course, that's an art in itself, knowing how to do that. And we're, you know, like I say, most of the older guys are not computer savvy. And, uh, you know, I have Debbie here. She's a computer whiz, my other half. And, uh, yeah, so she, you know, she helps out a lot of the guys who want to figure out how to get their cars, you, yeah. know, uh, you know, computerized, so to speak, in the, into the Internet. And get that out, yeah. Well, I'll tell you, uh, we want to let the world know, uh, BortsAutoCollection.com. There's some great videos, some amazing history. We did no justice with one hour, and we always say we need another hour. Thank you. Thank you kindly, Joe Bortz, for visiting. We would like to see you again soon. We're going to stay in touch. Thank you, sir. And uh, anytime you want to return, just give me a call, and I I, I enjoy it. We'd love to highlight uh, the amazing things. And and Ken Vela, thank you. Uh, Ken had a lot to do. Like, uh, I would have never. Uh, Wrench Nation is in gratitude to Mr. Ken Vela, Wicked Customs. Uh, Ken, where can people find you? Are you doing anything this weekend? Any shows? What do you got coming this up? Shout out. Actually, show-wise, uh, we're taking a little bit of a break. Um, you, you've heard uh, recently about the Malibu fires that are going on. Oh, yeah, man. And one of our good friends uh, lost his collection. Oh, and, uh, oh every, no. Everything. So wow. Saturday, we're going to go down and sift through the rubble and see what we can uh, resurrect and find and, yeah. and help him out. Um, it, it's... Uh, it's uh, Unbelievable. Tom Penenzio. Uh, oh, yeah. Producer. I've met Tom and Ken. Listen, uh, our hearts. Joan Jett. Uh, they're discovering Joan Jett and working with Paul uh, yeah. McCartney Lennon yeah. and everybody. So, wow. Well, listen, so we're I'll all rally together, and, uh, and that's that's my, that's going to be our weekend. Just, just it's yeah. going to be really Well, give my regards. Our hearts go out, brother. And you know, here in the desert, Arizona, we you know, you got some power behind help. If you need anything, uh, we're going to connect soon. Ken Vela, thank you so much yeah. for hanging. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. Happy Thanksgiving, brother. Happy Thanksgiving to you. Yes, and for you joining us every week, especially out there in podcast land, you guys rock. Make it safe. You know, and as I say every week, be safe. Hug each other and never forget to hug a mechanic.